statues. These are African statues. So we have been, our people, our mother people have been here for centuries and centuries before recorded history that we have now. Uh, the first people that came that we really call recent, I call recent history was uh, the first black man who came in really recent history that we hear about at all is York. He was a scout for Lewis and Clark and brought them out here. Uh, he spoke several Indian languages and brought them out here and he made friends with the Indian tribes and Sacagawea was also a scout for them. So between York and Sacagawea, Lewis and Clark were able to come out and, and map this new territory known as the Louisiana Territory that was gotten in the purchase from the French. Um, not forgetting the fact they, they quote, discovered this land. Discover, I don't know how you discover something that's already inhabited, but that's, that's, the, uh, that's the, what they say. So Lewis and Clark came. Um, and then that land opened up and Oregon became, um, actually was chartered as a state in 1859. And this people in Oregon, Oregon was applauded for not being a slavery state. And it was a slavery state because it didn't want black people here at all. It, um, they had a law in the charter that black people could not be in, in the, within the state, um, boundaries and there were sundowner laws meaning that if we were here after dark after the sun went down that we would get then it get lashed with the whip and it said how many lashes you would get for being here after the sun went down um so lewis and clark promised york that once he brought them here that he would get his freedom when he went back to st louis where they came from uh he went back to St. Louis and they did not give him his freedom and as a result they both had some terrible things happen to them. Karma is, karma is really something so be careful what you do and say. Um, but what, what's really interesting about Oregon too is that it has had and I don't know if it does to this day but it used to have the largest KKK Ku Klux Klan membership chapter west of the Mississippi. And I went to Pacific University in Forest Grove, and they were based out in, uh, I believe it was Banks, Oregon. And that was just a stone's throw away from Forest Grove. Very, very scary, very scary. Uh, luckily for me and the, the few other black folks that were there, we didn't know that that was the history. I didn't learn that until much later after I left uh, Forest Grove. but. That's one of the things, and what, what was so amazing to me is that we had a police chief that had a picture taken with the Klan. Uh, in the 1960s, um, they passed the Civil Rights Act, uh, and a friend of mine knows exactly what day, July 2nd, 1964. The Civil Rights Act was based on the 1960 census of how many black folks there were in this country. And so money was allocated for training, job training, and, and um, I, I guess at that time affirmative action came into being. So the census is extremely important to know who you are. Not only for um, money, it's how they allocate money through the government, but it's also important so that in the future our descendants will have, be able to look back at a record and see this is who I am connected to. 
And don't worry about being found out that you're here. If you have a cell phone or a computer or a TV, it already has tracking devices. They already know we're here. They already know what you're saying. And um, if there's a conversation, check your phone out sometime. You'll notice that there is advertising that comes up on your phone from things that you have been talking about in your home. There's advertising that comes up. There are, uh, I had a friend who was over here recently and she appeared on my Facebook page as someone that I should have as a friend. So they're already listening. They already know we're here, but sign up for the census. Register so that you can be a part of this and now and the future. And thank you so much, Donna. Listen, I was, uh, I'm Marlon. I know you probably remember, I'm the one that called you and I'm so happy. I was trying to find you. I'm so happy that I got in touch with you and I'm glad that you could be here with us tonight. Thank you for coming. Thank you for asking me. I appreciate it. I think I'm the oldest person on here. <laughs> okay, I like it. Hey, you represent well. Once again, everybody out there, transmit your love to Donna Maxi. If you haven't tapped in, find her on Facebook. Donna Maxi, once again, thank you for having us. And we're going to keep it moving. We're loving all of this Black history, all of this Black information, man. I'm digging it as well. Just connecting with our family here in the city. It's beautiful. And speaking of family, once again, one of the people I had to reach out to as soon as I found out about the event was my sister. And if you let me just give you a brief breakdown. She's a historian at heart, a reporter by right, a rebel by reason. Listen, writer, public scholar, spoken word artist, which is how I met her up in Seattle, putting it down on the poetry tip. I want you to send and transmit your energy while we bring it to the center. My sister. Walida and Marisha. Welcome, Walida. How are you doing? Thank you so much, First. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, right on, man. Um, I'm glad that you're here. And again, you know, I, I sent out actually some messages on Facebook. I wanted to talk to you about some other stuff regarding the event, but I put up a message on Facebook. Hey, who can I have give us a history lesson on Black folks in Oregon? And everybody was like, Walida, 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 Walida. <laughs> So why don't you break it down for us, sis? Give us a little history lesson on Black folks here in Oregon. Thank you. Well, thank you again, Versatile. I'm so thankful for your role in the community and helping to connect this with what's going on and bringing me into this. Thanks to Esperanza and to everyone who planned this important event to celebrate Juneteenth, to celebrate Blackness, our presence, and our resistance. Thank you so much to Donna Maxi, who is a community treasure um, and <clears throat> always excited to see you in person or virtually. <laughs> um, and the, the incredible music before I was like, we already got this off. So uh, I am going to just build some off of uh, the amazing information that uh, Donna already shared. Uh, my work is, uh, I work in a few different areas, but here to talk about Oregon Black history. And the way that I frame Oregon Black history is about talking about Black resistance and Black community building and uh, the ways that Black folks and other communities of color have again and again 
change the world, change Oregon, change Portland in the face of white supremacy. I think it's really important to root in the resistance and not in the oppression. And I think to me, that's what Juneteenth is about. It is a celebration of all that black folks did to win our freedom. This country never gave us any justice. We took it uh, and we have continually taken it nationally and here. So I am gonna be sharing uh, part of a presentation that I have created, an Oregon Black History Timeline called Why Aren't There More Black People in Oregon? A Hidden History. Uh, I have made a uh, YouTube video. And so I'm gonna just share a few slides today because we have so many amazing folks who are gonna be sharing so much incredible work happening now. Uh, but you can look up Oregon Black History Timeline on Google or YouTube and see a longer version. So I just wanted to offer that as a resource to folks. Um, any of the information I'm sharing will be there as well as a lot more. So Oregon Black History Timeline on Google or YouTube. But just building on some of what, uh, what Donna shared, it's important to recognize, as she said, Oregon, I've met a lot of Oregonians who are very proud that Oregon came into the union a free state. But the reality is Oregon was never a free state because while it outlawed slavery in 1844 when it was still a territory, at the same time, it outlawed black people. It criminalized us by including the first black exclusion law. That first black exclusion law included, as Donna said, the Lash Law that said that black people in the Oregon Territory would be publicly whipped up to 39 lashes every six months until we left. So from the inception of the Oregon Territory, blackness was not only criminalized, it was brutalized. And it's important to note the Oregon Territory was all of the Northwest, basically. It was Oregon, Washington, Idaho, parts of Wyoming, and parts of Montana. So when we say, the Oregon Territory outlawed blackness. We're saying an entire region told black people we would be publicly tortured until we left. So that is the foundation. And I think it's very important when we're talking about Juneteenth, when we're talking about the abolitionist movement against slavery, that we understand you can both be as a white person, anti-slavery and anti-black. And Oregon sat at the crux of that. So we have to challenge the very simplistic notions that if a white person was anti-slavery, they were pro-justice, pro-black, pro-freedom. That's not true. Because for them, it was about economics, it was about social control, it was about social engineering. Because the foundation of the Northwest is as a racist white utopia. And the black exclusion laws, of which there were multiple, uh, is one indication of that. And you know you don't have to, as LeVar Burton says, take my word for it. Uh, you can read the language by Peter Burnett, who is the one who created the Lash Law. In fact, it was called Peter Burnett's Lash Law. He was a well-known legislator who actually went on to become governor of California. And talking about the Lash Law, he said, the object is to keep clear of that most troublesome class of population, Black people. We are in a new world under the most favorable circumstances, and we wish to avoid most of those evils that have so much afflicted the United States and other countries. So very clear that the Lash Law was about brutalizing Black communities in service of the creation of a racist white utopia. That is the underpinnings of everything we 
we experience here. That is the foundations of the Northwest, of Oregon, of Portland. And we can't begin to understand this place until we understand that. Um, in walking hand in hand with that is the fact that literally this, this society is built on stolen indigenous land. And it is literally and figuratively built through things like the 1850 Oregon Donation Land Act, which at the end of the day stole 2.5 million acres of indigenous land and gave it away for free to white people to build this racist white utopian society. So even though different communities of color have different experiences and it's it's absolutely vital and important to learn those histories of resistance to that oppression it's important to know we share a common struggle because our oppression comes from a common ideology of white supremacy and historically there's always been solidarity between indigenous and black folks even from from the beginning of the black experience here as donna talked about with york the indigenous tribes were like, we don't want to talk to these white men because we know them. We know about y'all. We'll talk to this brother over here, right? So it's important to note that solidarity has always been fundamental to growing freedom for all oppressed communities. But this, this is the foundation of where we live. And it resulted in, as, as Donna said, in 1859, Oregon being the only state admitted to the union with a racial exclusionary clause in its constitution. Oregon's constitution included a black exclusion law that said that black people were not allowed to live in the state, could not hold real estate, could not make contracts. So again, blackness was criminalized from the inception of Oregon as a state. The other piece that's incredibly important about this, and this is why I call this a living legacy, I don't like to call it history, is because that language of black exclusion was in the Oregon constitution until 2002. So it was not removed, it was voted to be removed in 2001. But in the 21st century, that language was still in our constitution and it was a fight to get it removed. 30% uh, of Oregon voters voted to keep the black exclusion language in the constitution in 2001. So when, when we're talking about this being the, the foundation of society, this is not, we're not talking about 1780, we're not talking about 1860, we're talking about reinforced in 2001, very, very clearly. And the other piece that's incredibly important is that uh, the Lash Law was changed to forced labor. And in 1862, Oregon adopted a law that required all Black folks, Chinese folks, and Hawaiian folks residing in Oregon to pay an annual tax of $5, which was a lot of money in 1862. If they could not pay, they were arrested, incarcerated, and forced to work off that pay, uh, that, that uh, tax, uh, also being charged incidental. So their time doing that was much longer than it should have been. So that's important to recognize that from the inception of the criminalization of blackness and folks of color, we have seen the intertwining of the police and the prisons here, that this criminalization has been enacted through the police and prisons. This is the foundation. It's not something that can just be changed on the surface. It is the way the system was intended to function. But I think it's it's incredibly important. And again, the way that I frame this work is always around Black resistance 
resistance and Black organizing. The organizing that's happening nationally and here in Portland led by Black folks who are mobilizing, who are resisting, who are rebelling, who are reimagining and who are literally changing the world is incredibly, incredibly inspiring. And it is part of what Dr. Karen Gibson calls a continuous thread of resistance that runs through Black communities in Portland and in Oregon. There has never been a moment where Black folks have not resisted oppression under the most brutal conditions here. The fact that Black communities exist in Oregon at all is incredible because we were never supposed to be here. We were told we would be publicly brutalized and tortured over and over again until we left. And over 100 Black people heard that and said, well, I'm not leaving, so now what? And I think that that is incredibly important to recognize as an act of resistance. It's the reason I can be here in Oregon. It's the reason so many of us Black folks on this call can be here in Oregon. So the very presence of Black folks it was an act of resistance in a place that was supposed to be a racist, whites-only utopia. But Black folks resisted and rebelled and built on so many levels. And so I just wanted to highlight a few of those examples quickly because, again, to me, Juneteenth is, is I think the narrative is often like, that's when Black folks found out they were free. Listen, we knew stuff before the enslaving white people knew about it, right? That master was up in their house and then they would get a telegraph or someone on the on a horse would be like, hey, this happened. And black folks were like, we we already done heard that through our networks. We know, we know what's going on, right? Yeah. Our that's you know, hip hop is black people CNN. Like enslaved black folks had their own networks in CNN that were incredibly effective. So it wasn't that black folks didn't know this civil war was happening, they didn't know the Emancipation Proclamation was passed. It was because they were kept brutally and forcefully under the control of white enslavers. So they organized and mobilized and, and black folks here in Oregon did that as well. So one example is 1867, uh, both in Salem and in Portland, the black communities organized using different methods to implement public education because to that point, there was no place for black children to be educated. And so in Portland, it was through a threatened lawsuit. In Salem, the Black community got together and said, we're going to do for self because we know we these people are not going to listen to us. So they raised $427.50, which in 1867, for Black folks who had no legal standing and whose identity was criminalized, is an incredible amount. And they started a school to educate their children while using the twin strategies of pressuring and threatening lawsuits and organizing for the Salem School District to take over funding it. I think for me, there's so many important lessons about this, but I'm not gonna go into all of them. But the one that I think is most useful right now is the diversity of tactics. We need to be organizing on every single level. And so, and it needs to be based on what's happening there. And we need to be figuring out how do we support those organizing efforts in the black community. So what, what works in Salem may not work in Portland, but how do we network together? How do we support one another? How do we also plan multi-pronged strategies like the black community in Salem? They're like, we have the money to start the school. We don't know if we can afford to cover it forever, but we're gonna start it. And then we're gonna make sure that the school 
school district that covers it and that's what they did so to me the diversity of tactics and strategies is such an important lesson here because every successful movement for change historically has had a variety of tactics and strategies if you only have one strategy you are not going to win um, so that is one example I wanted to highlight. I did want to share, as Donna talked about, I, I quickly pulled up this picture. This is the picture I think that Donna was referencing of the Ku Klux Klan. And so uh, Oregon had the highest per capita Klan membership in the country. And this picture ran in the Oregon Journal and pictured with hooded Klansmen are the Portland police chief, the district attorney, the US attorney, the Multnomah County Sheriff, and the Portland mayor, posing under a headline saying they are taking guidance from the Klan, which the Oregon Journal called a mystic organization, about what they want, what the Klan wants to see happen in the city of Portland. So it's important to note that these organizations were not fringe organizations. They sat at the heart of the of of society. They reached in the highest echelons of power. As y'all are saying, uh, they are pictured with police, with law enforcement. The 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 cops and the Klan go hand in hand, right? As we know from hip hop. So, uh, you know, this picture just shows the way that history is connected locally. And again, reaching into the highest echelons of power, we had a Klan governor, Walter Pierce, who was elected in 1922. He worked with the Klan to pass legislation like the Compulsory Education Act, like literacy tests for voting, which we think of as a racist method of, of control in the South. We had them here in Oregon. So again, the Klan was never a fringe organization. They reached into the highest echelons of power. Uh, and this is at a time when many of these systems like public education are be becoming solidified. So these institutions are being codified at a time when the Klan and other racist organizations are are in control and in leadership. But I, you know, you know the crazy I, thing? Oh, I'm sorry, I, I just want to... No, go ahead, Walida. I just want to share this last this last slide um, because I don't want to leave it, you know, there. We're like, it's like, oh, the Klan was everywhere. And they are everywhere. <laughs> Good luck, folks. Happy Juneteenth. Um, I just wanted to end by, by rooting in the organizing of the Black community in Portland against the Klan. Because I think it's incredibly, again, I mean, this is the 19-teens, the 1920s, a time when things like the Red Summer where Black folks are being massacred by white mobs across this country in 1919. The Black community in Portland is incredibly small, incredibly over-exploited uh, over and under-resourced and yet never stopped organizing and mobilizing. And so they organized directly against the Klan. They also organized against the film Birth of a Nation, which was, uh, it was uh, created basically to glorify the Klan. It is perhaps the most virulently racist film that has ever been created. <clears throat> And its entire purpose was to say the Klan is to protect white womanhood and uh, white people. And that film, Birth of a Nation, was the first film to screen in the White House as well. 
and Woodrow Wilson showed it as if it was a documentary to visiting dignitaries. Everywhere Birth of a Nation was shown, violence against Black folks would follow. Um, white mobs would go out and attack Black people. That is part of the Red Summer in 1919 as well, is the screenings of Birth of a Nation. So the Portland chapter of the NAACP and other Black leaders and organizations mobilized here and organized against screening Birth of a Nation. Uh, and they were successful in getting the city council to first ban any film that would stir up racial hatred and then specifically to ban Birth of a Nation. And so I just want us to, I, I have been rooting in that a lot these days because with all of the incredible organizing that's happening on the ground right now, it, it may seem completely also sometimes overwhelming to be organizing against institutions so deeply entrenched like the, the police. And I root in organizing by the black community like this, who in the 19 teens were organizing against the Klan, who again, reached into the highest echelons of power everywhere. So had institutional support and they were incredibly courageous to stand up to organize and to, to change the world. Again, Portland has been changed by the black community again and again. All racial justice comes from the courage and determination of communities of color. That's true here and everywhere. And so, you know, I, I, I hope we root in this history and realize that as we are doing this work, you know, I'm yeah. so thankful that we intone the ancestors at the beginning because they aren't, they aren't, past they aren't you know far away right. they're, they're right, with us right now we're laying our hands on on what they 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 started we are part of yeah. that legacy and that circle so yeah, again I, I appreciate uh being here and being able to share some of this history and again if folks want to look at the longer timeline for more of this history just look up oregon black history timeline ma'am alita thank you i mean i wanted you to keep going man i mean like I told you, you know, when we got a chance to build that, you know, uh, I always appreciate you and, you know, your information. You've been putting it down for years. Thank you for joining us, Walida. Thank you. And doing Thank you, that. And you. You're incredible. Make sure y'all look up Walida and Marisha online. Um, again, one of our, our community leaders and just powerful Black women. So thanks again, Walida. So yes, listen, man, here at the Black Like Me Juneteenth celebration, we're going to keep it pushing. We got so much more to give you. Uh, we're going to move into, we want to give you an opportunity to ask some questions. And so we're going to move into our how we are serving the Black community Q&A here, okay? And what I want you to do is, uh, because we're tight on time, is to drop your questions in the chat. And we'll have chat monitors over there to look at your questions. And if your question gets selected, you get one of those Juneteenth t-shirts we were showing you earlier, you dig? So you want to make sure you get one of those uh, just to... Uh, commemorate this day and this event you know what I mean because it's fly and I gotta get mine as well so let's keep it rolling I want to turn you over to Queen Ray Mayer from P-A-A-L-F who will be moderating the question and answer portion of this how we're serving the black community Ray introduce yourself and introduce us to our guests Thank you so much to our amazing MC and also to my auntie Walida. My name is Ray, my pronouns are Shive Queen, and I'm an organizer at the Portland African American Leadership Forum. Right now, we are co-leading a campaign to defund the police and reinvest that money into black communities. 
I'm honored to be joined today by Anthony Del Deloney from Self Enhancement Inc. We also have Darren Harold Golden from the Urban League, and Darren is also an activist with Rose City Justice. And lastly, we are also honored to be joined by Reverend Edie Mondenay from the Portland NAAC, NAACP chapter. Welcome to my panelists. Let's get started. Could each of you please tell us briefly about your organization? Anthony, we'll start with you. All right, am I on mic? Here we go. Okay, so uh, first of all, thank y'all for having me. I mean, when I saw the roster, I was like, man, this is some all-stars. So Lonzo worked with, OG worked with the years, uh, Verse grew up together. So this is really the who's who for me. Uh, Sister Walida, man, every time, I, I've probably heard you six or seven times and I always get a new nugget every single time. Um, just amazing to be, be a part of this. So uh, Anthony Deloney again from Self Enhancement. Uh, actually, I've been there 25 years uh, full time, probably another eight years as a kid in the basketball camp. So definitely grew up with the program. Uh, a lot of you guys may know about what we do, so I'll be super short. But uh, overall, we're entering our 40th year of existence. Uh, we serve the African-American community here in Portland. Uh, we expanded uh, to where we're not just in, in Portland anymore, actually in um, Park Rose, Portland Public Schools, Park Rose School District, um, David Douglas, Reynolds. So we definitely spread out um, to the point now we went from a 1981, a one week basketball camp to now where we service uh, 15,000 uh, people, uh, kids and families uh, in the greater Portland area. So uh, we focus on high school graduation, making sure those uh, students move on uh, to to be positive contributing citizens. Uh, we also service those families in wraparound supports and we'll talk more about those later. But uh, overall, uh, I think one of the highlights we graduate, 98% uh, of our students, 80% of those goes on, go on to uh, post-secondary education. Uh, and there's a lot going on that, that we can dig all deep. So I see my people on the side, I'm gonna turn it over. Uh, I, I was asked to go first because I'm so brief and so succinct. So I'm gonna pass <laughs> yes. that on to the, to the next group. Yes, thank you so much, Darren. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that the Urban League of Portland does? Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Darren Golden. My pronouns are he, him. I just want to apologize for my background noise. I'm actually at uh, one of the protests right now uh, because we don't sleep. Um, so uh, I am a policy specialist with the Urban League of Portland, and uh, we focus on housing, we focus on advocacy, we focus on senior care, we focus on work care or workforce development, uh, as well as youth services. Uh, we're a 75-year-old organization in one of, I believe, 89 chapters nationally, uh, and this is our 75th unit, 75th anniversary, um, and we just focus on creating a better Black community for everybody. Oh, I love that. Reverend Mondenay, can you tell us about the work that the NAACP does? Hey, thank you for having us here. Now, the NAACP is the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Uh, its mission is to ensure the uh, political, educational, social, and economic equality of rights for all persons. Um, the NAACP is a network of uh, more than uh, 2,500 branches covering 50 states, and we even have branches in Japan. I am very, very uh, glad to be a servant of the community of Black people that we serve here in Portland. 
And our, our real main issue is to open those doors and get us at those tables where we need to be and whatever issues that are concerning African-Americans, especially, um, uh, are what the NAACP lobbies for. Legislation is the, the way that we're gonna do it. And uh, census and voting is our, uh, our biggest um, responsibilities to our community. Thank you so much for sharing, yeah. So we're only six months into 2020 and already so much has happened. We're living through a racial global pandemic and we're also living through an uprising now to defend black lives. What do you see the role of your organization? What do you see as the role of your organization right now, Reverend Mondanay? It's imperative that we are uh, heard. It's imperative that our voices are lifted up. Uh, the faith that the dark past has taught us and the hope that the present has brought us uh, has become a 21st century nightmare. These times resemble the 17th century reality of Blacks as three-fifth human. And we have to lift up that, uh, we have to lift that up as a present day truth. The bloodstained and um, bloody past of the Jim Crow era has once again surfaced. And we see that the progress that we thought we made 60 years ago was still waddling in disgust. I, I'm really, yeah, so I, 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 I'm really hopeful that we're seeing a brighter end, but there's a whole lot of work for us ahead. Um, and I'm hoping that we can come together and close ranks uh, to make sure that our community is, uh, is, is okay. Thank you so much. Anthony, SEI, this question is for you. So here at Recon Oregon, our primary work is to make sure hard-to-count communities get counting in the census. It's critical. Why do you think it's so hard to count the Black community here? You know, I think the, the, the easiest answer is referring back to um, everything Sister Walida just showed us. I mean, there, there's trust. I mean, I, we, we don't trust it. And uh, I just saw another article talking about um, how the, uh, the the COVID testing coming out uh, is, is not being supported uh, by Black people. And again, we have trust issues going all the way back uh, to the Tuskegee experiment. So I think it, it uh, is one of those things where there's just a deep underlying distrust of government, uh, of, of official bodies that we just don't don't believe in. And, and, and part of our job kind of standing in the gaps is trying to say, no, no, we've done our research on this one. I think this is something that we can get behind. So it does take a lot of work, but but that's a that's a generation of distrust. Mm -hmm. A generation of distrust that mm -hmm. we as trusted messages have to to work on, right? Absolutely. To make sure that these communities get counted. Absolutely. So Darren, what do you think? How can the census be used as a tool to make sure that our demands get met to abolish the police and reinvest that money into black communities? I mean, I, th I think the census is the truest uh, measure of numbers. I think the moment we actually correctly measure the individuals uh, and their race and ethnicity in our cities or in our states, and we can present this to policymakers and say, hey, you are not making a change for these people. This number of people is the number of people that is affected by these changes that you're not making. Uh, with, a, with an accurate census, we have the ability to have those numbers and actually present those individuals who can make that change. And then further down the line, that also gets us more money into the systems that allows us to further uh, service and support the uh, underrepresented and marginalized communities. Yes, it's all about representation and power. 
But Black joy is also integral in the movement. And so our last question from me is just to, to hear, how are you finding joy? What is something that has been bringing you joy? Reverend Mondane? I'm delighted um, <clears throat> to see those pro our protesters, our young people who are who are really taking a, a, a very, very uh, brave stand and to being there in the fight. Uh, it gives me hope to see that uh, these well-trained uh, and extremely disciplined activists are on the streets. We're looking at the uh, baby boomers and the Generation Xers to teach our millennials and the Zers to do what it's going to take to stand up. You know, there was a time uh, when I was enthusiastic for the progress made in our fight for equality and inclusion in this country. However, uh, as I'm paying close attention to what's going on and I'm looking at these narratives, what appeared to be forward movement was no more than uh, racist society hidden in systems and ideologies steeped in white supremacy that have never changed. So my joy is to see these young people uh, taking the reins and moving forward without apology and with voice and demand. And I think that my hope is to be able to do whatever we can do to stand behind them so that they have uh, the power to finish and, and move the, uh, the goal line. Yes, absolutely. I love that. Anthony, can you shortly tell us what's bringing you joy? Shortly. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I'll say this. One of the things I'm most proud of in the last, I guess, year and a half uh, is, is one of the partnerships and, and projects that we built uh, is in the Numbers Radio. Um, Black-led radio partner with uh, X-Ray. That's, that's actually airing this by this. It's all Black, unfiltered Black music for Black people uh, from Black Portland. And uh, we've been doing this about a year and a half now, but I think the events that are taking place show why we need more of this. Uh, and why now more than ever, we need to have our voices on the radio. And so uh, it's thenumbers.fm. Uh, you can stream it if you're in your car on the east side, it's 96.7. And uh, this year, excuse me, this month, we're gonna be airing free ads uh, for all black businesses. So email, if you wanna get into the rotation, black businesses, this is your time to get on the air and let people know you're out there the numbers.fm at gmail.com. Big up to the numbers. That's the numbers with the Z. Thank you so much, Darren. Uh, you're going to close us out. So how can folks get involved in your in the movement right now at Rose City Justice? So I just wanted to say a quick thing about Black Joy as well. I think the, the thing that I am finding Black Joy within is the amount of people that are finding comfort and finding their blackness throughout this movement. And that has just been something that's beautiful for me to watch. Um, but people can get involved in the movement in many ways. Um, you can follow us on our social media. We're at Rose City Justice on every major platform. And then for our website, it's rosecitycrc.org. Uh, we are working closely with the Urban League, Unite, Paul, uh, Coalitions Community Colors, Everyone, this is a community movement. We are just simply another apparatus that's pushing on the pushing on the people and the government to create systems change that we have, have so desperately needed for so long. Thank you so much to my panelists for being here. We appreciate you. Please check out their organizations because we wanted to keep this people short and tight. And Marlon, I'm gonna pass it back over to you now. Thank you, Queen, man. Thank you, Anthony, everybody, Evie, my all of my guests. 
we appreciate your attendance and y'all being a part of it, man. I can't thank you enough. And I know you guys are enjoying yourself, but now we just, you know, it's time to shake it off, man. You know what I mean? We need to, we need a little party here. It's a celebration. You dig? I, you know, I wish I, uh, I wish I had my gators out. I don't got my gators out, Anthony, man. But uh, you know, we want everybody. We want to take a little dance break so you can relax, stretch. We got OG One on one machine, ready to give us some good music while we do a T-shirt giveaway. Uh, we have our team checking out the crowd to see who's moving the best. So this is your opportunity to move. And based on how much you're driven down, you dig, you can get one of these three t-shirts. You got three t-shirts to the Zoomers with the best moves. So OG1, give us some of that good music, man. That funk, baby, so we can make it happen real quick and see how people get down in this open space. We don't have to have you show, put on your camera. You can't win if we can't see you. Hey. Yeah. You should be up and moving. Let's get it. And I'm having a ball. Hey. Y'all know how we do it. Hey, get your two-step on. Yes, I'm feeling that Juneteenth sweatsuit. Hey, hey. Feel all right. Oh, verse. I see you. I see you. Hey. 
It's that grown grown right now. That grown man that's right there. Hey, hey, break it down. Break it down. From the shoulders, hey, from the shoulders, hey, from the shoulders, hey, 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 it's that feel good music, music for the soul, hey, 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 I love that shirt, I love that shirt, hey, 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 I love that shirt, hey, yeah. We grooving and grooving. Yeah, young and old. Let's get it. over to my big sister my little sister actually i'm trying to act like she's my big sister because i don't want to look old you dig listen <laughs> <So, laughs> esperanza listen that's on you we need to get into the black women in power when i think about black women in power we got to turn it over to the boss esperanza hey. hey thank y'all so much thank you marlon uh verse let me tell you this is litty lit lit litter than i thought it was gonna be og dj og1 you just killed it we saw some dancing i'm not sure it wasn't all approved but you approved here you go you're gonna be black and fresh here no matter what you came with um i see y'all i see some of y'all y'all here living listen we um had uh, an event uh, on April 1st about the census. You know, this is all about the census. We're here connecting. We want to make sure, fo make sure folks are taking the census. Um, and we, we have to do that in alignment with what's happening in the world, right? We have a moment right now in history. We celebrate in Juneteenth. We have a rebellion happening across this country. Um, and we wanted to have a panel to remind y'all that black women are magic. You want to know how to win? You gotta center black women. And uh, we say that with an X because all women are women. Trans women are black women. Uh, cis women are black women. Uh, gender fluid women are black women when they wanna be black women. Uh, and it's gonna take all of us doing this work together. Uh, I could not be more pleased than to have um, two amazing um, sisters uh, who are joining me today. 
One is a, a dear longtime friend. Um, is so, so honored that she would take out time um, out of this moment where she is so incredibly busy. Uh, Alicia Garza, uh, who many of you know, is a co-founder of Black Lives Matter um, and also leads a really dope organization called Black Futures Lab. That's all about making Black people powerful in politics. And she is here uh, to be in conversation with uh, with one of Oregon's own. I mean, I didn't know um, Rep. Akasha Lawrence before I met her on some in some of this work. And the sister is fire. Like she's straight up fire. We are so fortunate to have her leadership here in Oregon. Um, and the three of us are going to be in conversation for the next ten minutes or so. Um, I want to start it off by by passing it to. I'm gonna pass it to you, Rep. Akasha. We're gonna do a quick, quick name, pronoun, organization, and one reason you love being black. Thank you so much, Esperanza. Um, Akasha Lawrence-Spence, she, her, hers. Um, I am the state representative for House District 36. That is downtown Portland, all the way to the south waterfront, so like OHSU, um, back up to the northwest southwest hills, all the way to Multnomah Village and Hillsdale. Um, I, one of the things that I love about being Black is that we are the moral conscious of this country, that we hold this country to account and that our skin is a constant reminder of uh, resistance, of beauty, of the start of humanity, um, of the birthplace of humanity, and of just richness and resilience. So that was a lot, but that those are all the things I love about being Black. That's perfect. Alicia, please name pronoun organization and one reason you love being Black. Hey family, I'm Alicia Garza. I use she, her, hers, and diva. And I'm really excited to be here with y'all. Happy Juneteenth. And one thing I love about being black is that we just keep it lit. I mean, y'all just saw, this is what I love about being black. This little dance party we just did right now just gave me my whole life. And I feel like that kind of joy that we bring, um, we just light up the damn world. So yes, that's one thing I love about being black. Thank you so much. I mean, it has been, um, you know, quite a moment in American history. We are all um, living it and going through it and, and hopefully transforming the world for generations to come. And I'm wondering if we can think a little bit um, and both of you can just think for a moment about um, your experiences as Black women leaders um, and what makes you particularly like qualified to lead? You know, everybody's always trying to say black people aren't qualified. We don't have the thing or the that, or we're not meeting their standards, or you know, my bamboo earrings too fresh, or my makeup too dope, or my, my voice too hood. Um, you know, and that's every black woman. It doesn't matter if you have a PhD, it doesn't matter if you work at Starbucks. Um, you know, black women are always too much for everybody. Um, and still we know that, that the future, right? The future is paved with black women's leadership. Um, can you talk a little bit about the experiences that, that you have um, that have made you qualified to lead in this moment? Uh, Alicia, can we start with you? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, being a black woman in this world, black, queer, um, all the things means that I always have to navigate around barriers that are put in my path. And that is exactly what qualifies me to lead. I believe that um, there is no knot that cannot be untied. <laughs> and I know that for a fact, because every time somebody tells me no, I'd be like, mm, okay, we'll check this out. We finna get this done. <laughs> and I will say this, you know, um, in this moment, Black women are leading in public, but we've been leading this whole time. Y'all know that, right? 
And so to me, you know, leadership is about being bold and it's also about having the courage to take a step forward. It's not about needing to know all the answers. It's not about, you know, needing to be right. It's about being willing to take a step forward and bring people with you to get it done. And black women have been doing that for time immemorial. So um, that's what I think qualifies me to lead. Thank you so much. Akasha, what about you, sis? Yeah, so I'm gonna speak specifically to the role that I'm in right now as a state representative. And I think that that oftentimes is a reified title, right? People think that you have to wait until you're 50 and over, or you have to wait until you have a PhD, or um, you're a founder of something, or you, and you don't need anything. You don't need a high school diploma. All you need is passion and your lived experience and the will to change and make the world a better place, make your world a better place. And I think that black, like Alicia said, black women have been doing that for time immemorial. I always say that you tell a black woman something, you want you want a neighborhood, a community to know something, you tell a black woman, because we're not gonna keep that information to ourselves. We don't board, we want everybody to come along. This is not just about us and our success. We wanna tell our neighbor, we wanna tell our hairstylist, we wanna tell our, we go and tell people in our church, in our in our supermarket, whatever. We have some good news, we're spreading it, right? We wanna help you navigate the system, figure out how to get a benefit, figure out how to get anything. You ask a black woman because we're gonna help you, right? And it's not to say that our labor is for free and that you should exploit our labor, but it's that we have always been at the forefront of making monumental change in this country. Nothing happens without us. Thank you so much. Listen, you know, I, I don't think we can have this conversation without acknowledging um, the ongoing um, rebellion that's happening all over this country, including here in Oregon. Um, you know, we were so fortunate to just hear from um, the Rose City team that is out here just making it happen and just, just reminding us how beautiful and powerful Black people are, even in a state where we are not the majority. Um, I'm wondering if you could send one thing to the people on the front lines tonight and, and for the last several days, weeks, um, and probably for weeks to come until we continue to get justice uh, for Black people who've been slain at the hands of the police. Um, what is one thing that you would wish uh, for, our, for our folks on the front line today on, on Juneteenth on, on Freedom Day? Um, Rep Akasha, please. Yeah, I want them to know that we need them that they, we know that protest is the only thing that has ever shifted the tides in this country. And we know that the Montgomery bus boycott lasted for more than six months, right? We know that these boycotts and these protests are long-term, and so we need them. And we're grateful for you and you are loved. And, you know, there are people like me, we're fighting on the inside of these institutions. We're hearing you. There are conversations being had right now across our nation that would not have been dreamed of six months ago, three months ago. And it's all because of this energy and this fervor and the momentum that, that you guys are creating. It's not something that's happening internally. It's happening because you've decided that you've had enough. I, I know that this generation, especially Gen Z, is a generation that has been weaned on tragedy. You came of age to see Trayvon Martin shot down in his own community and it hasn't stopped. Right. And the only change right now between, you know, our forebears and now is that we have cameras that show that, that are telling the truth. Right. That we don't need to validate our experience because these videos are so laying bare to everyone across the world. What is happening and the injustices that we are facing here in this country. And so to the young people out there, again, we need you. We love you. We hear you. And we're changing because of you. Oh, Alicia, please. Yes. 
I gotta follow her. Come on now. <laughs> okay, so here's here's the thing. I'm not gonna follow the rules and have just one. I have three. So the first thing that I wish the folks who are out on the front lines right now is protection. Um, we know that it's it's wild out there and as much as we are out in the streets fighting, not just for our right to survive, but fighting for our right to thrive, that there are forces all around who don't want us to succeed. So I wish each and every one of you protection and I pray for it twice a day. Um, the other thing that I wish for you is um, the ability to transform that rightful rage um, that I think we all have either on the surface or right underneath to keep being able to transform that rightful rage into the kind of love that we need to move forward. Um, what is real is that after more than two decades of organizing, what I know is that anger can ignite me, but it can't sustain me. And so many of our freedom fighters um, have been eaten alive by anger. Right? And so I wish that you constantly have the ability to transform that rage and that anger into the love that is going to propel us forward. Um, but don't lose the anger now, just you know, be able to like photosynthesize is what I'm saying. And then um, the last thing is, I wish you fun and joy. Um, this is a moment that I never thought I would see in my lifetime. And every OG that I talked to, you know, I was talking to OG Linda today, and it's beautiful to see the world right now through our elders' eyes, uh, folks who never thought that we would get to be back here again. Um, and I wish that we have, I wish for them that um, there, and we are also able to just like really absorb the change that we have driven forward in this country. I can't find no place on TV to be mindless. And I've been trying y'all because I need a break. My brain need a break. I try to turn on housewives and they talking about Black Lives Matter. I try to get with Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen. Andy Cohen out here talking about white violence. I mean, this is like, <laughs> we may not see this moment again for a while. So. If there's a joy that you can feel in seeing just a sliver of what our future can look like, I want you to be able to do that too, because we earned it. We deserve that. Thank you so much, Alicia. Um, listen, tonight is also about the census, right? We heard about um, how Black people have been terrorized uh, by white supremacy in this in this country since the very beginning, um, and also how Black people are thriving here. My, my family moved here three years ago, um, and we are thrilled. We love living in Oregon. Listen, I will always be from Oakland, California, because if you're from Oakland, California, you're always going to be from Oakland, California. But that doesn't change the fact that, that Oregon is the home of my heart. Um, I'm so honored to be here with you all as a Black woman, as a Black queer woman, um, and the census is important. We want to make sure that Black people here are, are represented um, and that our communities are centered in the conversations about power and money. So real quick, give me give me a 20-second vibe on um, why the census is important. Alicia, we're going to start with you. And DJ OG1, Groothy Mix Show. You have been tuned in to a live broadcast with We Count Oregon. 
And um, hopefully you have enjoyed what you're hearing so far. If you want to continue participating, please uh, check out Facebook at We Count Oregon. Up next is my man DJ Bobby D with Night School. And I want to thank everybody that tuned in. And may you guys be counted. Again, We Count Oregon. Make sure you get involved. I'm DJ OG1. Until next week, y'all stay peaceful, stay safe, and I'm out. It's 7 p.m. and X-Ray FM would like to thank all medical personnel, health workers, and first responders fighting COVID right here in Portland. Here's to you.